Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So, sit back and relax, or, you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. So we were just talking right now, and I want to sort of pick up on this because I think it's a cute way to sort of come into it about how weird time is because you've been hanging out with me for my birthday. Thank you so Yay! much my for coming. Honor. It meant everything, everything, everything. And then also realizing that, that the time seems to be moving so quickly. But what my friend Julie's dad explained to me when I was complaining about how odd it was that the older you get, the faster time seems to go when you're a kid the idea of summer vacation is like, whoosh But then the school year grinds by and you're like, why does it, you know? And he said, it, it is different. Time does shift depending on human perception. The clocks and watches and seconds and minutes and hours are human creations. Right. But time is literally just expressed in how you move through your environment, right? And the reality is when you are 10, one year is one-tenth of your life. And so you're measuring your internal clock by how long you've been alive. And so when you're 20, one year is one twentieth of your life. And so it doesn't feel like such a big amount of time because it isn't. And the older you get, those amounts of time continue to shrink exponentially. Right. And so a month is nothing to a 50-year-old, right. whereas a month to a 10-year-old is, is an un- incredible amount of time. You can see this illustrated in animals. People are like, why do cats and dogs freak out when you come home is because you've been gone for a month. Right. <laughs> you've been gone. But if, if the average cat lives, let's say, the 10 years, dog, 10 years, you being gone for a day at work, that's a week for them. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're like, holy shit, you're back. Thank God. Right. Where and were you? <laughs> Take that and then move it the other way to the idea of a mayfly. And that mayfly that lands on you for 10 seconds, that's like a year in their life. (laughs) Right. I saw this amazing physicist on Instagram Mm -hmm. with a nine-year-old girl who he was trying to explain the dimensions of time and space to her in Mm -hmm. some way. And he said, can you get up and can you walk over there? And she got up and she walked over there. She said, he said, so you, you can move in space. And she said, yes. And he said, can you move in time? Like, can you actively move mm-hmm. in time? She was like, no. <laughs> like, and my brain just went, because obviously time, do we stand still and time moves? Like, here's the thing. We do move in time. We do move in time. Every time you fly. But differently than we move in space. Correct. <laughs> like you, the, the moving in time and moving in space, for example, if I fly back home, I have moved in time. Right. And in space. But you could but also sit not, right here yes, and move in time. Correct. It's correct. It's so, as you said, like the brain popping. <laughs> I'll tell you how Todd explained it recently. Yeah. So he's got a little bit of 
higher perspective mm-hmm. coming and going at the moment. And he said, when he's in the now, as it were, like mm-hmm. in that perspective, yeah. instead of he's walking along in his life and things are happening and he's experiencing things, it's more like he's staying in one place and stuff is moving past him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That, it made sense to mm-hmm. me at the time. It's interesting, though, because it's a centrism, right? It's like, do we revolve around the sun or does the sun revolve around us? But actually, all of us are rotating and revolving around the sun as the sun is rotating and revolving through the universe as the blah, 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 larger and larger to the smaller and smaller. It's a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> I didn't have the brain capacity to figure it all out. You do have the brain capacity. You have the spirit capacity, though, to understand I so much of it. I can feel it, actually. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. So this is my friend, Rebecca, who was amazing. Hello. And I just realized, I was like, I didn't do an intro or nothing. <laughs> we just jump right the fuck in. What would you say that you, your focus is right now mm-hmm. in terms of what you're doing or not doing, how you're being? Mm-hmm. What is your thing? It's a great question. <laughs> I'm looking deep in your eyes. <laughs> in terms of what I'm doing and not doing, what I'm doing is currently kind of carrying on with the work that I've been doing mm-hmm. in ways that are ever-evolving for the last 17 years, working with men and their sexuality. Mm-hmm. But it's really, it's a more spiritual journey. It's an inner journey, which alchemy is. And what I'm not doing is making any sudden moves because I yeah. feel like, the work is asking me to step up in some way and I don't know what that way is Mm, yet. mm -hmm. So I am doing my best in each moment to take my hands off the wheel. Yes. Right. Instead of it being about what I want or how I'm going to feed my kid or, you know, the things that my work has offered me in the past is now, how am I in service to this work? Yes. And it's not about me feeding my family anymore, which is a really different place, mm-hmm. you know, that I have gripped onto mm-hmm. for years that, I mean, I managed to feed the family, but it didn't, yeah. I just, I'm ready for ch- some change and shift. And I don't know exactly what that looks like yet. So I'm in a period of, of trying to not think I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've been talking to my therapist about this a lot recently about uncertainty and living in it. Yeah. You know, because it's not my favorite thing to do like at all. But I also appreciate the fact that it gives me room to relax if I can take it. If I can take the fucking relaxation and say, you know what? I have done what I needed to do. I have planted the seeds. I have been walking the walk. I have been talking the talk. All I can do now is continue to do that versus pushing versus getting off of the hustle bus, right? That we have been on forever. I feel, I know, I feel like I've been on it as a African-American woman, like the perpetual hustle, like you got to go, you got to achieve, you got to, you know, you can't let the bastards keep you down. You can't let them get to you. You can't, you know, this perpetual fight yeah. and being for the past nine years in a place where I'm financially secure was an adjustment. It's still an adjustment sure. in the place where you are as well, where you don't have to worry about your next meal or the rent this month. Right. You can say, okay, now I can actually take a breath and figure out who I am. Hmm. And that's when you come off of survival mode, that's a process. It's a huge process. And part of the survival mode stuff too was that I kind of boxed myself into a corner. Mm. You know, I created a niche, which I, I loved the niche. I loved the, the men I was working with, the colors of my brand, the words I was using. You know, I loved all of that, but it was just a tiny tip of the iceberg of what I really fully have to bring. Yeah. And it was great. And, oh, I feel a bit choked up saying it, 
it was just too small for mm-hmm. me. It's just too small. And so then having, but, but you know, it's like if you've been, if, if, if an animal's been in a small cage, it doesn't, it's not in a hurry to run out when you open the door. No. You know, it's like, well, not that's generally. grass over there. I don't know. I haven't seen grass for a while. So I feel I'm still kind of, I've taken the cage off of me, mm-hmm. but I haven't fully unfurled. There's a YouTube channel that I follow, Leon the Lobster. Oh of course yeah. you do. <clears throat> of course I do. The pandemic put me into a mode of binging crazy YouTube shit, and some of it has stuck, and I'm delighted. So a man literally went to get a lobster for dinner and decided, you know what, I'm not going to eat him. And so he had an old fish tank, and he and it was a, a saltwater fish tank, so it was fine for the lobster. Put him in there, cut off his bands, and what's so interesting is that you could see he had band scars on his claws, which meant that he'd been in those bands for a while. You know, and this is the reality of lobster catching is that frequently they're caught and then they stay for weeks in these tanks they're until they're alive, sold. Yeah, but they have to be kept alive. Right. So he started a YouTube channel and it's just, just this like, you know, older hippie dude and he's got like a pleasant voice and he has this sort of undertone of wonder that he's like, yeah, so I kind of just decided to take him home and I named him Leon the lobster. You know, I know it's not super original, but he's got the sort of Bob Ross thing going on. And so he's, you know, describing his relationship with the lobster. He's feeding it. And then like a week later, there was another video. And I was like, well, I'm subscribing now. I'm, I'm, I'm in for this. And there was a point where he molted. The lobster molted. And that's just fascinating to watch. But the scar was gone. Right? So the scars on his claws, which had faded to some extent in the first few weeks, but they were gone now. He has a whole new shell. And I started thinking to myself, how often do we as humans go through that where we shed our lives or we make huge shifts or we say, you know what, this is not serving me anymore. I need to get out of here. And I think about leaving New York and I think about leaving Los Angeles, I think about leaving San Francisco. And I think about, you know, being in New York, but having this be only part of it. Like how many moltings have I done? I'm still the same person, but an essential aspect of who I am is shed. And I feel like probably you are in the point where you're realizing that that shell needs to come off that there's a molt happening you need to move into this new shiny soft body that's going to be vulnerable for a while <laughs> you're bringing to no so body likes like, vulnerability yeah. but but like this is the thing right like this is the molt yeah and this is also the molt where i don't replace that shell immediately with another shell right that's the thing just stay squishy because as you stay squishy <laughs> That's our new motto. Stay squishy. You know, as you're saying about all your, like you moved here and there and you left things behind and all of that. Like I left America, you know, Mm -hmm. moved to Europe. That was a kind of molting. And I've left a couple of husbands and a lot of relationships. Mm -hmm. And then only three years ago left London, which Mm -hmm. was a huge deal. That's a big molt. Yeah. Left London and left the home that I owned. And so it was mine and I could do whatever I wanted to and nobody was going to kick me out and you know it was like into a home that's more shared kind of thing situation and so there has been moltings going on and it's you have to land somewhere that can hold you to do some of the bigger absolutely right can't you can't mold while you're in the dangerous place you can't mold while you're moving right you can't do it while you're vulnerable you have to be safe yeah you there has to be a safety in order for you to successfully make that shift And this is part of the reason why theater people will know this. It's like when you do a show, you will not get sick. Mm. You will not. You might veer into something and be like, oh, fuck you. I see this upper respiratory shit coming. I do not have the time. Right. But 
closing night, you toast your glasses <laughs> on the way home, you get your fucking NyQuil, you get your saltines, you get your cans of soup because you know that in 24 hours you're going to be a fucking mess. Right. Because while we don't have 100% total control over our bodies, we have a lot more than we think. Yeah. And that kind of thing is your body going, all right, you know what? I'll see you in, and I'll see you on closing night, motherfucker. I'm coming back by your ass, but I'm going to back off now. And I think that that's what happens when we have huge shifts in our lives is that so often those shifts are not going to happen until we have some tiny degree of safety or rest. Yes. I mean, that's a thing, isn't it? Like even in other industries that talk about what, like you can work your fingers to the bone, Mm -hmm. but when you go on holiday, you get ill. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or people who say they sit at their desk trying to write the blog or write the play right. or whatever it is, but it comes in the shower. Yeah. It's not in the moment when you're pushing necessarily yeah. that things ha- yeah. happens, but when there's rest and space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I think I'm molting as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> it's the tiny arms that get me. That's where I'm just like, oh my God, how are you going to get those tiny arms out? <laughs> oh my God. And is it, is it lobsters or is it? There's something that will only grow to the size of the tank that it's in, right? Is it lobsters or fish? There's something. There's some fish that will that can get really big, but don't if they're in a tank, right? And people are like that. It's yeah. like in the situations, ships that we're in, mm-hmm. and our not necessarily the size of our home, but like how safe, how big can we go in the spaces we're occupying? Exactly that kind of thing, and, and that's a relationship shit as well. How many times mm-hmm. have we been in relationships that don't give us room to molt? Oh my God. In fact, take us the other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is one of the things that I so much appreciate about being in a relationship with Georg, because for all of our combined weirdness, both of us are 250% dedicated to the other's growth. Right. And even when the growth is in directions that possibly don't include the other person, yeah. we definitely make room for that. And what's been really magnificent is seeing as how I've started to return back fully committed to teaching and lecturing and all of that, how Georg has just been so proud. Mm. And like the fact that he's like, I'm so proud of you for doing this. This is so wonderful. Your work is so important. It really feeds me back for all of the years that I have been doing that for him. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's not like he has ever not been supportive. Sure. But... The active support is very different from the sort of like theoretical background support. Yes. You know, it's very different for someone to say, I support you in whatever you do. But then when you're actually doing it, there's oftentimes people who are like, oh, wait a second. Now you're not spending as much time with me. Now I'm not the center. Now I'm not the focus. Now blah, 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 whatever. Mm-hmm. And he has not been that at all, which has been really wonderful. Which is another space to grow, isn't it? For you to grow. Exactly, exactly. And this was a struggle that I had for so many fucking years trying to get to the point where I even had the guts to to say I want to do my own consulting thing. Because first of all, you have to have money to start a business. You have to have a lot of money to be able to, in my case, hire someone, pay someone to help me with the things that I'm shit at doing. Right. I'm not good at organizing. I'm not good at remembering stuff. And I spent a couple of years trying to figure out, well, should I try to take ADD medicine? Should I try to do this? Should I try to do that? You know, tried one medication that didn't really do so much. And then I was like, okay, try the next one. And then as I started talking to my therapist, I said, what if I just stay weird? Right. What if I just stay weird and just get assistive devices rather than saying I'm going to have a surgery that may or may not enable me to walk? Right. Like use the braces, hire the person. That's the thing, isn't it? Play to your strengths, hire your weaknesses. Right. Same. And having now the financial ability to do that, 
that I could say my little savings bundle that I have, you know, which isn't a lot, but to say, you know what, that is now my investment. That money now that I don't have to worry about what's going to happen to me when I'm old, when I retire, when I die or whatever. (sighs) I got to talk about that. But now I can say, you know what, I can take that money and I can roll the dice a little bit with it. Yeah. Yeah. And look at you now. Which leads me to where we were gonna we were gonna start recording yesterday. <laughs> that was and we never be, did. That was supposed to be like the beginning of the talk, and now we're like, what are we like? It's fifteen minutes in, <laughs> sixteen minutes. Remember in. that thing I was gonna ask you like forty eight hours ago? Which I I genuinely want to hear about the kink doodle because obviously you know you travel around the world. I'm in rural Gloucestershire, whatever, and Gloucestershire. So I see that kink doodle has launched. I know that you're doing events in the UK. Mm. And you check out my website, (laughs) kinkdoula.com. But so what, so my question is, are you doing coaching, mentoring? Are you whipping people? Like what's, what are you doing? What is kink doula? As of now, what kink doula is, it's literally what people need. Because when I came up with this idea, which I think I've talked about before, but I'll just give it real short, is I was working on a retreat and I had done some work with a person who had a really huge epiphany and back into their body moment after dealing with years of chronic pain and doing sensation play with me, who she had gotten a trust bomb with, you know, and being held also in space by another person from the retreat who she had also really bonded with very quickly. And so he was holding her and holding her space. And I was, you know, doing the sensation and doing the energy running and all of that. And she had had for the first time in many years an experience of being comfortable and happy in her body without the chronic pain being the thing at the front. And as we were talking about this and where everyone's crying and it's very beautiful. And she said, I just feel like I've been just given like a new lease on life. Like I've just just been reborn back into my body. And I said, yeah, I feel like I'm some kind of like, I don't know, like kinky doula or something. And that resonated like this, this, this literally like this vibration, this bell in my whole body. And I was like, oh my God, that's it. Mm-hmm. And, but my next thing was, am I stepping on the toes of doulas? Because I was like, well, you know, and, and I'll tell you the reason that was my second thought was because years and years ago, when coaching became the thing that everyone was doing, I had mentioned in a discussion group, in a local BDSM discussion thread, I was like, I think I could be like a good kink coach for people. I have so many people who kind of want to, and three women who were coaches were like, you absolutely cannot do that. Because you need to have training. You need to be certified. You can't just go out there and say you're a coach. You're going to harm people. What a load of twaddle. And so I was like, well, I don't want to harm people. So I just was like, well, I guess I'm not going to do that. And it literally just was like a thing that was never not going to happen. That was it. I was done. And so that came right back up for me when I thought about this. I'm like, well, what if doulas are going to come to me and say, you're going to harm people? And of course, because this is a training for body workers, there was a woman there who is actively right now a doula. And I was like, girl, am I stepping on your toes? And she said, no. She's like, if you call yourself a birth doula and you're not that, then that would not be good. But she said, doula just means a woman who serves. Yeah. And I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, I didn't even, I was like, what the, ah, I was like, I did not know that. I was like, what the, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, so I've been a doula my whole life. Right. So yes, this is mine and I'm fucking owning it. And like the next day I was like, not even the next day, like that night I bought the domain. I was about to say, you're and on the like, computer. I bought the domain. I started looking up how to copyright shit. So it's copyrighted. You know, I was like, this is mine. It is mine, mine, awesome. mine, mine, mine. I don't know what that's going to look like. 
And so what I basically decided was that the kink part of it is obvious. And the doula part is what do you need? Which is one of the things that I, I want to, I have these like 15 minute free consults with people right? because I want to see what they think they need and see if there's something that I hear or that I receive in that brief chat with them that I can say, yeah, I think that there's something I can give you. Mm. Or I can say, I don't think there's something I can give you. So it will depend on the person. Right now, it's starting off with just chatting with people. Okay. Yeah. So it's online talks. But if someone were to say to me, I, you know, I had one person who's in a couple and wanted to see about, they, they really are interested in rituals, but they don't know how to figure out how to establish that. So I said, well, perhaps sometime down the line, if this, if our first conversations work out, you know, and this is something you want to do, you can certainly fly me out somewhere for a weekend and we can work on that. Right. So it's really going to grow in the directions where it's needed. And so with that couple, as an example, would you, if they said, okay, we can't afford to fly you out or whatever, mm-hmm. or we have a kid, or I don't know, whatever, yeah. would you could coach them, air quotes, absolutely or, online, Yeah. right? So like, so for example, like our first talk was just about what rituals meant to them. Yeah, beautiful. You know? And so, and the thing is that like at any point they could have a light bulb moment and go, we got this. Thanks. I'm like, great. Right. Cause <laughs> first the idea. Yeah. Yes. And so this is what I'm offering is a, a, a sandbox, a pool to play in mm. that I will be there until the point that you feel like you're done. You've got it yourself. Yeah. Go play. That's it. Yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. so it's extremely flexible and I'm very much keeping it open because I don't want it to be. I do online discussions and this is that, right? You know, because I also, for example, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing this sort of day long retreat thing, which even in my mind right now is still taking shape. Yeah. Because I really am like, what do folks need right now? And what I'm getting is that folks need ways to foster intimacy, that it's about getting back to psychological intimacy, because despite the fact that we're sort of coming off of the pandemic, and despite the fact that a lot of people spent a lot of time together, it wasn't necessarily productive or good or fun or healthy time. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of worry. There was a lot of, there was sickness everywhere. And there was this sort of, we were living in the mask of the Red Death, you know, this like old Edgar Allan Poe People's attention was elsewhere, wasn't it, for a lot of them. And so... I think folks are realizing that a lot of even relationships that are stable need some help. Right. They need some ways to figure out how to live again in that intimate space that's not enforced. So that's part of it. And for some people who didn't have partners, they're feral and they're like, I don't even know how to talk to people anymore. Yeah. And so some of it is talking about how to get back to yourself. And this is always my thing. And I hammer this all the time. When you're doing kinky shit, your first partner is you. Your first negotiation is with yourself. Your first place where the first place where you have to conquer shame and fear is within. It's not about doing the shit. It's not about who else you're involved with. So what I want to offer is a safe space for you to say literally anything. Like there was one person I was talking to in a, in a, in a intake and they were talking about how afraid they were to mention their fantasies to their partner. And I said, look, I have an acquaintance who literally did a self-cannibalization scene at a pervert summer camp. I don't think there's much. Meanwhile, watching this person's face entirely fall open. Right. I was like, and then I was like, oh, did I? I was trying to show that there was nothing you could do to shock me. And this person was like, what? And I was like, yeah. So, and and I was like, so they were kind of shocked, but they also realized, I'm like, I'm not shitting you when I say there's nothing you can say to me. Right. Right. I think because most people think that the thing that they're holding on to or afraid to say is the worst possible thing. Yes. 
Whereas, of course, we've heard worse most of the time. And we're seen worse. <laughs> or want worse. Yeah. You know, like right. All, right. ourselves have dealt with that judgment and shame and whatever else. Absolutely. You Absolutely. Know? So where I am right now, and this is my current sort of wobbling back and forth, is, you know, I have people who have interested, they'll do this sort of consultation, but I never chase them back down. Like, I don't do the follow-up and say, so, are you ready to sign up? Or here's the thing, whatever, because I genuinely want it to be them-driven. Yes. But then I also did have one who was like, oh my God, I'm so glad you wrote back because things have been so chaotic. So right now my struggle is, oh gosh, but what if the nudge is helpful for them? So now I'm trying to integrate into my intakes obtaining that information. Like, do you want me to follow up with you? Right. Would that be helpful for you? Or do you want to come to me when you're ready? So trying to remember to plant that seed in folks. But that's such a brilliant way of doing it because you're modeling the foundation of kink and contrasexuality, which is consent. Yeah. And so some people might know, like, I absolutely need a nudge. Yeah. You know, and some people are like, no, I, for whatever reason, I need to go and sit with this for myself. But exactly. I'll come back to you. So like, that's fucking gorgeous. I love that. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to remember to do. And so far, so good. My main thing is my own sort of fear and weirdness is mirrored in other folks. I had a client that I got fucked up on the time zone. So, cause I, 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 I made the appointment in one country right? and then had it in a different one, but then hadn't put in their time zone, which is what I should have done. And so then we missed the appointment and then I was, I had a travel day, didn't follow up. And then I had a day where I forgot what day it was and I fucked up three important appointments and I was just face down crying like, Here's the thing. Look, getting a business off the ground and talking to people and scheduling things, that's a whole thing. And you are on the move all the time. Yeah. So you're just figuring it out. What, how you are figuring out how can you best serve everyone around the world, you know, <laughs> as you travel. I mean, I don't know about you, but like my laptop, when I go to my sister's, it changes all the time. So oh, time. my God. It I is know. epic. And so I, when I am scheduled, if I'm, in America, and I'm trying to schedule something for when I'm back in the UK, It's I have to write in words, mm -hmm. this is five, F-I-V-E, you know, t because otherwise I'm just not sure because then it changes back again. Mm -hmm. And what if I've done the count wrong? So, I mean, you, and I, I don't travel much, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you're on the move all the time. And I think, you know, first of all, look, you, you are in, huge in your field. You've got years and years, decades of experience, and this is a brand new version of your offering yeah and you're on the move i mean you're in europe all over europe for three months i think people will be forgiving and if they're not then they're not your client that's exactly right that's it what was interesting to me is that when i posted i don't know i don't remember if i i think i talked about it in a podcast just this feeling of absolute abject failure and whatever in this whole thing and then what was amazing is that this person wrote back and was like i listened to your podcast and apparently they had their own story about why I had missed the appointment. Uh, and it had to do with me not wanting to work with them, oh. with a thing. And I said, oh, my God. And so I was like, absolutely the fuck not. But what was amazing is that I gave this person a healing without even knowing it. Like my mea culpa, my vomiting up my own self-esteem shit just so I could puke it up and look at it and say, bitch, this is a lie. And you're willing to be vulnerable <clears throat> and open and seen. Yeah. In your flossomeness. It's my Flossom. favorite word. You're what? Right. Everyone's flossom, right? <laughs> and it was so, you know, and, and, and this is what I realized is I said, you can't fail right. 
in this because your quote-unquote failures occurring publicly is a healing for someone. Someone is saying, oh my God. And this is what I've heard so many times when I talk about being socially anxious, when I talk about feeling like a failure, when I talk about struggling as a submissive or like not knowing how to be a good, you know, consensual slave because I'm such an asshole, (laughs) you know, um, and hearing people say, oh my God, that's me, that's me, that's me. I wasn't trying to message you. I was just saying some shit so I would feel better. Right. But that's the charge I was given by my higher power, lo, these many years ago, when, you know, some Hindu deity is like, just live as loudly as possible. That's all you have to do. I mean, I was saying that to you four years ago. Whatever. In Malta, was, <laughs> you're doing the work yes. by living your life the way that you Absolutely. live it. Absolutely. And you've just happened to put it into some structure at the moment. Right. Called King Dula, which is awesome. But you're, you're doing it by the way that you live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and that's it. it. And that's, and that's, I, I also believe that the work that you have done with this very controlled small population deliberately because that's your internal programming is built for that work. That work can also translate to a different niche. And yeah. that's, I think where you are right now is like sort of doing the molt to sit in the squishy place and say, okay, where are the other people at? Yeah. Where I, are those other folks? I love that niche. And I would continue working with those there's same men. There's no reason men, not to. For sure. There's a them and. Yeah, there's the, there's the and. Because I had to make myself, I had to just be a percent, small percentage of myself mm-hmm. for that particular niche to feel safe to come and do the work. Yeah. And it was great when they would, would then they could come and do the work, make, you know, making it accessible in a way. It's just that after a while, just like this isn't all of me. And now I've even forgotten who the rest of me is. Mm-hmm. So I need to, you know, and and had stopped giving myself permission to kind of be it. So it's like, now I have to rediscover it and give myself permission and be brave and let it out. And basically everything that you do, but my version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but with like, I, ha- I feel like all my muscles wasted around that. So I'm back building them up. That's you know? awesome. It is awesome. It's really great. That's not the word. I thought you were going to say that's terrifying. <laughs> no, that's awesome. It is awesome. It, of course it's terrifying, right? But this is the thing. I feel like humans forget, we forget the, the things that we love when the context shifts. We love terror when it's controlled, right? Right. We love to be on roller, roller coasters. Ca- we love to watch scary movies. But when your life is a roller coaster, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. You know, this is part of the reason that I, I, I keep backing away from taking medications off of the ADD because it might take me five hours to clean you know, this table, because I'm now also running over here to record this. And I'm also like, I'm like, no, 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 no. I need a hot bath right now. And then I'm like, wait, I got to go and run a thing. Fine. You know what? I have, I have manifested a life where I have that time. Right. So I'm going to fucking take it and I'm not going to feel bad about it. And I'm going to also realize that I have had, um, 54 years of coping mechanisms that have gotten me to this point. Right. And if I had listened to the people who told me, you know what? There is no way you can write a term paper the night before it's due. If anyone could, you could. You need to do a semester of research for this. And I'm like, I did the research. I just didn't make notes. I just didn't gather information. I just didn't have my cards. I just didn't do it your way. Right. And I had a, you know, one of my favorite moments is my very favorite teacher in high school who was notoriously brutal. Mm. She was the she was the literature teacher everybody hated, and I adored her. 
fucking love Mrs. Laster. I was just like, oh my God, Mrs. Laster. <laughs> Meanwhile, people are like edging back in their chairs, like no one's sitting in the front row, no one's, because she was fucking ruthless and taught me so much about how to, not how to read, but how to absorb what I was reading. Mm. And um, so I loved her, loved, loved, loved her. And the last semester of junior year, which is the, the year that I had her, we had a term paper on whatever. And I was also in two different shows at school. So my evenings were rehearsal and then drinking Bartles and James wine coolers. Obviously. <laughs> because... Bartles and James. <laughs> I remember that stuff. You remember that shit? <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. And so when the time for the term paper came, I was literally like pulled an all-nighter and was finishing up the introduction like in front of class. like at okay. like, And she rolls up and takes one look at me and is like, just gives me the most disappointed look ever and just shakes her head and walks in the classroom. And I was devastated. Yeah, man. And she just went off. She was like, you need to respect the process. You need to this and this and that. And I'm just sitting there like, ah. Oh. And so like a month went by and, you know, we're back in class and it's like the pretty much the end of the semester. And she they used to take, the, of course, this was back when you handed in assignments on paper, we had yeah. wood pulp that we would use <laughs> ink from squished berries in order to write down our ideas with quill pens, right? Whittle the thing. Whittle then. the pen, right? And so uh, you would get the paper folded in half, and, and she had a and stack the of them. The front, yeah, right? well, the mark was on the inside okay. so that no one could see it, only okay. you would see it, right? So she goes by my desk and throws down my paper and keeps going, and I'm like, Jesus, I didn't even open it because I just knew. I was just like, this is going to be the most savage brutality. And so I put it in my little trapper keeper, <laughs> went outside, went to lunch, like lit up a cigarette, sat down, had my iced coffee, opened it up, and it was an A minus with the entire front page covered in a message from her. Wow. And she, and, but I was like, A minus. Oh, holy shit. And the whole message was, you can't live your life this way. <gasps> oh my God. Was like, you know what? Fine. You got the A minus. Like However, you're a fucking genius, but... <laughs> right? And I was like, A minus! <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, bitches! <laughs> and then my sincerest desire is to go back and say, Mrs. Laster, I adore you and you were not correct. That's right. This is my superpower. She couldn't live her life that way. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. She couldn't have done it that way. It made her nervous. Yeah. But you got an A minus doing exactly. it your way. Exactly. Mm. But here's the thing. A lesser human being would have given me a C because to teach me a lesson. Right. Because I didn't do the I didn't do it the way it is supposed to be done. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. And so my respect for her grew immensely mm. because of that. Because she was like, This is the process. It's like in math class where they're like, show your work. Right. There were kids in my school who could not show their work. Right. Because it was all Because they just knew. Yeah. Right? I was not that kid. I was that. It was the other kid who could pull a fucking term, a minus term paper out of her ass the night before. <laughs> right. But the thing is that that's the same kid. Had I decided at that point that I needed to utilize her methodology, I would not be the person who rocked up on stage in front of 350 perverts and gave a keynote speech that I pulled out of my ass because I was so present in that moment with those people that I said what they needed to hear. Mm. Yeah. I can't know that before I get in the room with them. No. You know, I don't have that type of power where I can predict what the room full of 350 people are going to want. But I do have the power to do it when I'm there. Right. And rather than blocking myself out, I don't have notes for my classes 
People laugh because I have literally walked into cons and said, what class is this? <laughs> that you're teaching. That I'm teaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and they're like, it's this. And I'm like, okay, okay. All right, let's go. Right. Because that's it. Meanwhile, you know, when I have worked with other performers or with other presenters or with other lecturers, they come in with, they want to have a talk and they want to get ready. If I'm co-presenting with someone, I'm like, I can't do that with you. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. I used to, when I was doing client sessions, when I first started, I used to go through their email that they'd sent me and look at what they needed so I could remember and they go, okay, we're one o'clock till one twenty-five. we're going to do this and one twenty-five. Mm-hmm. And after a while, I was like, I don't think I need these notes. So I would write them, but I'd put them under a pillow yeah. in the room just in case. And then I, now I couldn't possibly know what they want until they're there. Right. You know, like I couldn't possibly know. I have to like talk with them. Then the stuff bubbles up and then I... And you, they you might know, not even know. Of course they don't know. They know what what their presenting issue is, but there's always an issue behind the presenting issue. Yep. You know, that's that's the thing. And because, you know, we've been talking about this a lot over the last couple of days, that we're multidimensional, multilayered, complex beings. Mm -hmm. And the presenting issue may be showing up in, I can't get an erection or, you know, whatever it is, it might look physical, but actually it's about feeling really small when someone, when you were five said a thing and also your soul didn't want to be in your body. I had so many men recently who I, I put my hands on them. I feel like mm, it feels like you didn't actually want to be in this human body. It was a weird thing to say. to say. And if someone's just coming to you thinking you're going to help me figure out how to get my dick hard right. again. But they've all said, yeah, you're right. I felt that my whole life. Mm-hmm. And there's a clinch in their body that has been like a kink in a hose pipe. Yes. So, but I wouldn't know that till they got there. Exactly. <laughs> oh no. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So I get it. So when you're in a room of 350 people, or, or you know, what is it next Saturday or whenever it is, mm-hmm. you're going to feel the room because yes. that's what you do. You yes. feel people, and yep. then the words will come because you will not exactly channel them because they come through your decades of experience. Mm-hmm. But you know, so it's not that you you're not going in to speak to firemen about firefighting. It, no. it, that would be a different thing. <laughs> you know, you'd probably channel some good shit there. And she'd probably be able to help them because you feel people. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just that in this instance, you're feeling people who are there to partake of what it is that you offer and there's a resonance. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you're doing that shit as well. And I love the fact that you are opening yourself up to embracing the aspects of yourself, the magical shit that you have that can help people from an angle that they hadn't anticipated. Come here for the sexual intimacy, stay for the spiritual, emotional, and magical work that you also can do. It's, I almost can't speak now. It's, um, the, the sexual stuff is almost a red herring, but not in yeah. that more and more where I'm being drawn to is, I have to close my eyes so I can even feel it, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's the more mystical, magical, spiritual work. It's through the doorway of sexuality. Though. Yes, yeah. You know, so like for some people that's yoga or meditation or walking in the woods or mm. whatever it is. And the special magic I've been given is let's use your sexual being to come back to, in fact, to what you said before, to who you really are. Yeah. Who are you really at your core, which is inclusive of, not exclusive of yeah. your sexual being. Your sexual selves hold so much information and joy and full facetedness of mm-hmm. who you are. I mean, another conversation we've been having separate but related to all of this is about, you know, some darker stuff. Like you, you're you into your murder porn and crime 
porn yeah, stuff, yeah, which yeah. I've been like starting to look at a little murder bit. Murder porn as in analogous to food porn, not actual pornography of murder. Right. Just clarifying because some people are like, what? Like stories about people who yeah, like, true have crime. done crime. Yeah, true crime that, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm fascinated. But we were talking about like if society was a space where we could own and embrace our dark stuff. Yes. Our evil stuff. Yes, the bit of us yes. that wants to punch or kill preach, or rape or preach. whatever. Yep. If there was a way to safely explore that, which there is in kink and contrasexuality, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. maybe we wouldn't have to always express that non-consensually, right? right? And so, the, so the, the, for me, the, it's the spiritual, who are you as a whole being, mm-hmm. but just through the doorway of contrasexuality. Yeah. And I haven't worked out yet how to... I, I think I used to, my breadcrumbs to my work used to be, oh, bring me your erections that don't work. Bring me, you know, you can't last long enough in bed. I can fix that stuff with my eyes closed. You know, that's not a problem. It's the deeper work underneath that that fascinates me that I really right. want to do. I've got all the pieces of the puzzle, but I don't know how they fit together, mm-hmm. which reminds me of one other thing, and then I'll be quiet, which was... No, you won't. And you'll, you'll, well, you'll love this. Someone yeah. said to me, when nothing is known, everything is possible. Mm-hmm. And that's sitting in that place of uncertainty, which yeah. is oh so uncomfortable. Yeah, it sucks. But I do like, I am, you know, my Capricorn self or whatever, or Scorpio or whatever is like, <laughs> everything is possible? Okay, <laughs> I'll be uncomfortable for another day. Because that's kind of cool. Yes, mm. it is. And the thing is that if you can sit in that discomfort, you can invite people who are also sitting in it. Right. And that's the part that is really challenging, I think, for many practitioners. Right. I always say practitioner or facilitator can only take their clients as far as they're willing to go in themselves, Mm -hmm. which is why any practitioner or facilitator who isn't walking the talk, always doing some work of some kind on themselves, whether that's through their life or actively, you know, I'm studying this or whatever, you get stuck and you can't take your clients any further. And if that's okay, you can always take them to a point. Right. But I'm fascinated by the evolution of who we are Mm -hmm. and the constant revealing how much of ourself dare we reveal? That's really intimacy, yes. isn't it? If I could tell you I'm fascinated by this crime stuff that you watch, right. I didn't used to be, and suddenly I'm like, that's fascinating to me that people do that. And what if, you know, that whole conversation we had, like, what if that guy had known that he could consensually do things, right. that, you know? Like, this is the thing, like, is it possible for people to have harm reduction models of diverting bad shit they want to do. For example, we have AI that can do amazing things. What if, goodness forbid, someone is having pedophilic thoughts? They have these desires. They have an aspect of them that's really fucked up and really broken. And they're aware that it's fucked up and broken. And they do not want to harm anyone. Is it the wrong thing to do for them to have AI where they can look at something that is exactly what their dark fantasy is and satisfy it that way. But made up, it's made up. So it's no created, human. so there's no, yeah. ch- no, no actual human being has been harmed to create this. You have then the counter-argument, well, but oftentimes that leads to escalation. And the truth is, yes, it does. But escalation is occurring. It's occurring. It's anyway. already occurring. So if there's a chance that this can divert some of the folks from escalating. Is it or is it not worth it? This is the question I pose. For example, in Japan, they're very sophisticated sex dolls. Some of them are created to look like people who are not of age of consent. If a person is alone in their room with their below-the-age-of-consent sex toy, and this is enough for them, have you diverted someone from actually escalating to harm a human being? That's a possibility. Absolutely. 
And in, even with the escalation, if those people with those thoughts were taught how to go into the kink world and say, I have this kink, is there an age of consent adult who's willing to pretend to be? And might that be enough for them? Right. And here's the thing. It might. Yeah. I can say this. I don't know. I don't personally know anyone who has revealed to me that this was their fantasy specifically. So I cannot speak to that. But I have met in person two people who definitely are on the spectrum of sociopathy, who have very brutal fantasies, who do utilize their access to the BDSM kink and leather communities to get really close to the type of energy they want. Because what they want to see is terror in someone's eyes. They want to feel and like taste the fear of someone who's afraid of being harmed. And can you get that? In a consensual environment, if you're clever enough, yes, you can. And skilled enough. I'm right. I'm going to add in there because you're not going <clears> to <throat> just suddenly decide to do it. You've got to learn some safety Correct. stuff. Correct. Yeah. You, have to, you have to negotiate. You have to know what you want. You have to have a partner who is aware of what you're going to do, how it's going to happen. There has to be, especially in the case of edgier shit, enthusiastic consent. Maybe someone there to pull you out if you go over a point. And this is part of the reason why I wanted to offer the kink doula services, because if someone's sort of like, I have these desires, I have this fucked up thing, I really want to hurt somebody, I don't know what to do, blah, 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 blah. I can sort of walk them through it and say like, why, who, how? Ask the typical who, what, where, when, why, how? Right and get to the bottom of where the desire is coming from, and then build up from there. Right. Because what some people discover is the fantasy is enough. They have just been feeling bad about the fantasy, so they couldn't really jerk off to it cleanly. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, if you're feeling bad about a thing, then you're interrupting yourselves with the bad self-talk. Versus, yeah, I'm going to fantasize that I am the evil inquisitor burning a witch at the stake. Right. And I'm okay with that part. This is the core of all the the self-help work is owning and embracing all these parts. And so you might go, I am the terrible person that wants to burn the witch, whatever, and do the thing and watch them burn and see the terror in their eyes. And I own that part of myself. It's real. Mm-hmm. I feel it. I'm not going to go do the actual thing. Exactly. But I might draw pictures of it. I might wink off to it in my head. Mm-hmm. Great. And that's fine. I'd much rather you know that part of yourself, own it, embrace it, and find safe ways to express it. Exactly Bring right. Bring me that beautiful part of you. I will witness it and hug you and kiss you. You know, like, mm-hmm. gorgeous. But if you're suppressing it, and now you're being an asshole to your family, mm-hmm. and you plus you're piling shame on top of yourself... That's, yeah. that's not helping anyone. It's and, going to come out in a dysfunctional way. And I've mentioned to you before that I have this like burning desire. Like there's this one serial killer oh, yeah. <clears throat> I really want to write to and he's still alive. And I, I mean, he's and the thing is it like, is that like, he's like in the top 10 of fucked up motherfuckers. And one of the last of the super fucked up motherfuckers who's still alive. Right. Cause Jeffrey Dahmer is dead. Aileen Warnos is dead. Ted Bundy is dead, but BTK is still alive. And the thing about him is that he was a flawless masker. He had the wife and the children. He was a, a the, like a, not a deacon. Like what is the thing we have a high level of a, in the black church is just a deacon, but like he, whatever that is, he was like a member of the board of his church. He was a boy scout leader. Of course. All of these things to the time where he was captured. His kids were like, he was a great dad. He was the head of his local homeowners association, which at, th- at that point, I'm like, you should know that the dude's a sociopath because those motherfuckers are sociopathic. Right. <laughs> and just like, we're going to make you ruin your entire life so that your lawn is green, right? Like he was apparently like a very strict HOA guy who also had fantasies of self-bondage and dressing in women's underwear. 
and was discovered in this fetish by his wife and had to beg to keep the marriage together and promise he would never do it again, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the thing is that I wondered if his wife had walked in and said, oh, gosh, you know what? This is so awkward. Let me help you. Right. Would he have then had to escalate to the crimes that he committed? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But I'm dead curious about this, if he has any self-awareness. Because rationally, there's got to be some point where he decided that he needed this so badly that he was willing to destroy other lives in order to get it. And that's a pathology. Right. That is a mental illness. That's where it tips over. That has tipped over. But my question is, you know, when I've talked to several therapists about this, and their sort of thing is, it's a very interesting question. No one has said like, oh, no, God, that's ridiculous. They're all like, wow, that's an interesting question. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because yesterday we were talking about how some of the criminals that you've watched or that I know about are kind of born that way. Sure. There's a brain deficiency or chemical deficiency or something like that. But some of them don't start that way. Correct. And we watch like the Jonestown thing. Jim Jones did great work. He did. I did not know that till last night. I remember the story from when I was a kid. Yes. You know, I watched it on the news. But we only saw the horrible end game. When he... Tipped over the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how kink might have helped him. <laughs> I don't know if kink would have helped him. Maybe it would have. Maybe if he, but the thing is that for him, what would have helped him was not being a drug addict. Yeah. Because basically. the drugs certainly pushed him into the paranoia and the paranoia certainly spun out into greater and more damaging and darker pathways. Yeah. Something, you know, a flip switched in right. there somewhere. I mean, here's the thing. He was self-destructive mm. and because he had this flock, the self-destruction bled onto the people around him. And this is the same thing that you're looking at with the uh, Heaven's Gate cult. Heaven's Gate cult was actually kind of a tech cult. Um, Marshall Applewhite, and he had a partner for a long time. They basically, it was sort of a um, outer space sort of thing. Like we are only, and a lot of it makes sense. We are only beings of light in meat containers. These are vessels, you know, all good, right? Yeah, yeah. And then at one point, one of the leaders, sort of, it was a, a male and a female leader. One of them died. And this was the thing that wasn't supposed to happen because she was supposed to be able to discarnate and then go to the next thing, the next level. And so the shift happened there where he was like, no, now we all need to go to the next level. And so the next, but it, it was a long process because what they wanted to do was to bring as many folks with them to the next level as possible. And then the hail bop comet appeared and they, and they said, this is their signal. Behind the comet, astrologers had seen that there was another object. They weren't sure if it was a shadow radar bouncing from the comet itself or if it was like a, because comets are just dirty ice balls and they, it could have been like a, a bit that had fallen away but was pulled along by the momentum of the comet. But what they interpreted it to be was this was where the spaceship was coming to get them. And so they needed to leave their vessels in order to join the folks on this comet. And so at this time, they were living in this mansion that they had rented in, I think it was in Southern California, because a lot of them were tech heads. A lot of them were people who were on the first wave of developing internet technology. And that's how they got their money. They, this was a pretty wealthy cult. By the time they got to the point where they were doing the end game, where they were going to be leaving their vessels, there were probably, I think, 30-something of them. And the sort of famous meme is that the, here were like a few dozen corpses neatly laid out in bunk beds in this mansion, all wearing the same thing, all with their heads shaved, 
all very gender neutral because they did not believe in gender. Some of the people who were cisgender males had castrated themselves in order to get to that more neutral atmosphere. They didn't have sex, et cetera, et cetera. But they were all laying in bed with their all black suits on and their Nike shoes with a black shroud over or a purple shroud or whatever it was over their heads. And they'd had like a whole schedule, like the first wave took the, you know, barbiturates and alcohol and then the second wave and the third wave and then the last two people shot Marshall Applewhite and, uh, or t- gave the poison and then took it themselves and then laid down and died. These are the two most famous ones. And they were led by self-destructive white men who started off with a very gentle and loving and beautiful vibe who eventually had mental illness that was untreated and unchecked mm-hmm. and then took folks with them. And this is the thing with, with Jonestown, first and foremost, it was not Kool-Aid they drank, it was Flavor-Aid. And the thing is that this is important because if you're a poor American, the difference between Kool-Aid and Flavor-Aid, mm. that 15 cents right. was like a loaf of bread or not. Right. Right? And so like the fact that the mostly black people died with the cheaper version. While Jim Jones had 7 million pounds in the, dollars in the bank. And he got shot, so he did not have to slowly writhe to death in the sun. Right. You know, But he was sick as hell. And he, up until the end, I will save you having to listen to this, but up until the end, because they did record that last sermon, knew he was helping them. Like when you, when I listened to it, I I, I said, he believes it. Like I, in my heart, I was even sadder because I was like, he can't hear the reason of the people who are begging to live. He can't hear it. Because he knows that it's better for them to just pass away, you know? And the thing is, for Christians who don't fear death, and those were the people who were like, yeah, I guess it's time to go, you know, versus the people who are like, you know what, it's not the time to go, but who did not have the choice. And this is the second thing that pisses me off. It was not a suicide. A suicide is voluntary. It is not voluntary if you were told drink cyanide when there's a ring of men with guns standing around you. Right. And you're given no choice. I do not believe, and you cannot leave because you don't have a passport and because you are in the middle of a jungle. And brainwashed. And brainwashed. And you have been sleep deprived for a year and you have not had proper nutrition for a year. You have not really had much protein for a year. Therefore, your brain function is squanchy. You are squanched. If you don't have protein, you're a fucking mess. You're living on like plantains and rice. Uh Uh-uh. You yeah. need to like be catching a guinea pig out there in a jungle, something, something, yeah. you know. And so the facts of it are we are so vulnerable to the whims of other people in whom we have placed our trust. Which brings us back to our work in that mm-hmm. the more you know yourself, all, your light, your dark, and your shadow. Exactly. The more you can follow your own path. That's right. Right. And not be sucked into... I don't into... mean that to sound victim-blamey either, by the way. I'm just yeah. bringing it back to this. I, I totally get it, but thank you for clarifying yeah. that. Yeah. Because it's not about... It wasn't that, their fault. It's not about that you made this bad choice and now you're dead. No. It's about that you can be more in tune with what you really do want. Well, And we can learn from that. Yeah. That's the thing. Is we yeah. can learn, okay, that happened and I've been impressionable for sure. Absolutely. And things that, right. So it's not... To, I'm not blaming them at all. It's just that we can no. look at that and go, okay, how do we not do that again? I mean, to look at it and see... There are points where any of us would have been on board. Yeah. Right? Like, there's very few people, if someone said, hey, I'm going to church, you want to come with me? 
you don't have to do it, just check it out. Like, there's, I would be curious. I'd be like, hey, sure, yeah, whatever. I've been to many different churches. I've been to Muslim churches. I've been to synagogues. I've been, to, you know, I've been to temples. I've been, I've visited because I'm curious. Mm. You know, someone has said to me, hey, I'm going to this lecture on whatever. But sure, curiosity, right? Mm. Now, did I wind up ass deep in Landmark Forum? I did not. <laughs> but I checked it out. Yep. But many people did go to the second class. Right. Because they were a little more curious. And the third class, does that mean that they're stupider than I am? No, it means that it just didn't, that particular formulation didn't smell good to me. Right. And it was giving them something at the time. Right. Maybe it was just a sense of belonging where they'd never belonged before. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Mm Because I know somebody who got involved with a a more sexual related cult over here a few years ago. And he was coming to me for sessions and then telling me about this other stuff he was doing. I was like, yeah, that, that, they, mm." (laughs) you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like I could use the word cult because it would have pushed him further away away from from you. Yes. And so I, I kind of, when he brought it up, we would talk about what was happening there. And I was very careful with my words with him. Yeah. And eventually it all fell apart, of course. And he came out and he said, gosh, I was really getting something from those groups of people. And I even thought the teacher really had something until it all fell apart. Like he was getting something from it. Right. I mean, Jim Jones did good stuff till Absolutely. he lost his mind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was a lot of, and this is the thing, there's always a lot of good. And that's how people get sucked in. Like, have you heard about the Nexium cult? Uh, yeah. Like this was another thing, self-help group, helping people. I didn't, Keith Raniere was not on my wavelength. Like when I looked at him, I got nothing. I just was like, this is a black hole. But the thing is that I had seen those men in the scene and I being next to them and seeing how they operated. And which is interesting. Like people talk, when I talk about like never having a partner, like going through so many, like 18 years without a partner. And like, it's not that I didn't try. It's just because those people the people who would have been bad partners for me, they just took one cent and they were like, not this one. And I watched, I watched specifically other submissive women get chewed up and spit out over and over and over again. And I was like, there were points where like, I would like to even just be chewed up and spit out. I like, I would just like a little chewing, a little something. I'll take the <laughs> spitting out yeah. if I could like have a little something. But it was nothing. And I firmly in retrospect believe it was because the predators know the prey that's good for them and the prey that isn't. Right. And I'm not good prey. I'm just, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to be a pain in your ass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> paid off. And so where did I wind up? I wound up exactly where I have to be. Yeah. The only place I could be for God's sake. You two are made for each other. Yeah, for absolutely. It's bizarre. Your lives, yes, and the things like even things like your theater background, even things like that. He could have ended up with someone who didn't have that, who had everything but you, you know, you but no theater background. But actually, that's turned into art between you. As as someone who traveled as a kid, who doesn't see travel as a big fucking deal, right? The fact that we spent half the year running around, don't care. Right. And well, and actually knows how to do it. Yes. You know, you yes. know how to do it. Spiritually, because it's emotionally and spiritually really tr- difficult right. to shift gears like that, to have different environments, to not even know the environment. What is the energy going to be where you are? What just happened when you, you don't even know what the fuck went on when you walk into that Airbnb, yeah. you know, but to me, it's an adventure and it's interesting. And you're right. And for him to come off of a place of having been raised in hate, and having to pull himself out of that. He's the only white man I've ever met who was reduced to tears when I told them about my history in terms of my exposure to racism and things that happened to me when I was a child and coming up. He cried. Because he understands it, doesn't he? Because he saw it from the other side. Yeah. yeah. And was like, oh my God, that's the harm that's that the is impact. done. Right. Right? 
Like, so rather than being empathetic to me, he, what I, I told him an anecdote about a little girl I was playing with in the park whose mother dragged her away because she was, quote, not allowed to play with niggers. And Gary was like, girl I was like four. Mm. That was his mom. Right. And so he immediately, because as I told him, I said, that little girl started crying because children aren't that. Right. She was having fun. So he was that little girl. Right. And so for us to have that moment of him understanding the pain of her being dragged away from her new playmate and me going, oh, my God, yeah, she was a victim, too. And understanding. And then we just started talking about how much harm racism does to the tender little bodies of children. You know, and then how many years later, seeing the cover of his memoir with the photo that his brother found of him giving the Nazi salute, he's maybe five, but the he's look of, of sorrow and confusion and sadness on this little boy's face mm. as he's saluting, like he knew right. this little old soul knew that this was wrong. Mm. And that's the person that I was given. Like, and what, so, and this is the thing, like, until I met Garrick, when people would talk about like soul contracts and shit, I was like, yeah, whatever. You just really love each other. It's great. <laughs> and the universe and, went, hang on a sec. It's just like, I'm oh, sorry. Here you go. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, son of a. Because <laughs> just you being together publicly in the way that you are has changed people's lives. Right. And I know that for a fact because people have told us. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. No. And the impact of it, I mean, I have seen some young composers just start to be publicly freaky. And I guarantee you that these people at the dawn of their careers would not have thought that that was okay if it wasn't that, like, Gerrit Fiebrikas and his wife are out there being freaky. Right. And taking the judgment and taking the hits, because we genuinely don't give a fuck. Right. Like, the people who are like, oh, you're just doing it for attention. I don't care. Like, what kind of attention? What? What? I know. It's like, if you could see our daily, <laughs> weekly, monthly struggles, you'd know. You would know. And it's... also, if you could see how in love you are and how a perfect match. I mean, it was... It was ridiculous. Like, I don't... Like, people who... I think it was just that they lacked the imagination to understand why someone would reveal their private shit. Right. They right, just don't understand. Because people don't. Much yeah. like someone who lives in the public eye. Exactly. And so they lack the imagination. And so they're like, well, it must be for attention. You know? And I say, yes, it is for attention. <laughs> It is to draw attention to the fact that the way we live is okay and it can be healthy and it can be not just healthy. It can be fucking amazing. Yeah. And there's kinky people amongst you. So that's the reason. And if you can't see that, then you lack imagination. There was, you know, I had one person I met who I thought was going to be a new friend who revealed to me that they had really, they were like, yeah, I guess it wasn't just for attention. And it turned me off to them so badly that I was like, you're not the sort of person that I want in my life. So I just sort of quietly like just started leaning away from getting closer to them because of that. Mm. I was like, you lack imagination. If you if you just have decided that you're going to sort of just like kind of be okay with it. I'm like, first of all, why would you say that to me? Well, also, why would you say if that you to spend someone? Any time with you and Georg or individually or together, you wouldn't be able to say that. You wouldn't be able to think that because you're both so genuine. It's just, this is, at that point, I just feel like this is someone who's a judgmental person and who's not open on some level. And that's the only thing I could sort of come up with why they would have that. I was like, you must just be super judgmental because this person did, they knew Georg more, far more intimately than they did me. And then when I met them, I was like, oh, no, this is cool. This is sort of whatever. And then when they said that, I was like, oh, you are not cool, dude. 
we were not cool. And so I was just like, okay, fine, whatever. But this is the thing, right? We can have these websites that are talking shit about Georg and or about me by proxy or people who are super judgmental. And I'm at the point, thank you, middle age, where I genuinely don't give a shit. You know, it used to be, I was less of a shit giver than many people, Mm -hmm. but there was always still, there were always a few that wiggled their way through. Of course. And now that wiggling is so much less. Mm. It's almost gone. I can't remember the last time someone online said something or someone said, and it really like kept me up at night. Right. Whereas in my 20s, 30s, that would still happen occasionally. Yeah. Less of it in my 40s. And I'd say probably about four or five years ago, I started noticing I genuinely didn't care. Yeah. Yeah, I'm about the same. Yeah. And maybe not quite where you are, but not far off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so uh-huh. awesome. Yeah. So listen up, younger people. <laughs> this is why middle age fucking rocks. It's because you genuinely begin to figure out who the fuck you are. It takes a little while. Yeah. Because we're not encouraged to do so. Especially cisgender women are not encouraged to do that. Mm-mm. To have the guts to just jump out and be like, fuck it, I'm doing it. Right. We're not raised that way. fully in yes. who you are. Oh my God. How dare you? <laughs> Oh my God, like it still takes me everything in my body to say, I'm a really amazingly brilliant public speaker. Mm. Part of me is like, oh, don't say it, don't say it. Who the fuck do you think you are? But that's old conditioning, isn't it? Yes. It's just old conditioning. Yeah. Like at this point, there is empirical evidence. (laughs) Even you have to believe. Even I have to say, you know what, bitch? There is not a global campaign to blow smoke up your ass. There is no way that people from Texas and Vienna and London have all gotten together and said, you know what? We're going to (laughs) convince this bitch that she's all that and then yank the young rug from underneath her. It's unlikely. It is very unlikely. So fucking suck it up. We're just going to have to be awesome. Right. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, I'll take that. Okay. And we're going to start a cult. Yes, we are. What was it? Something with snacks? It was like self-esteem and snacks. Yes. The self-esteem and snacks cult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in, I'm, yeah, 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 I'm yeah. there. And the thing is that since the common presumption is that no one starts a cult, do you know what I mean? Like right. no one says we're going to start a cult. It's always that you draw people in and then boom, 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 suddenly you're in a cult. We're going to start a cult. So like, then what is it? Like, what is it if you say you're starting a cult? It's yeah. an anti-cult, right? I think it must be. I think time implodes then. <laughs> <laughs> The universe reverses on itself. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome, though? Like, we could say our cult leaders, but have you eaten today? Yes. Here's, have a snack. <laughs> Do you need to get up and stretch a little? <laughs> get some sunshine. <laughs> have you checked your credit score? Right. <laughs> that would be awesome, cult leaders. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, yes. So now the next thing we need is we need someone to give us a compound. So if you have property somewhere, preferably not in a southern state in the U.S., super racist. I prefer not in the states at all. No, I think somewhere in like, this is what I really want. I want one of these like Slovenia, Romania, Czech Republic area. Okay. Because it's very affordable. It's very beautiful. Okay. And culturally, in terms of like sexuality and everyone else, they don't give a shit. They just don't care. They're like, yeah, sex. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. You know Estonia I mean? is supposed to be good for that, apparently. Yes. I'm not Estonia there. would be great. Okay. And Estonia is very affordable and also very beautiful. So if you have a spare couple million f- sitting somewhere and you're like, I need a tax break, fund our cult. I'd like to join a cult. Right. And so self-care. It's a self-care cult. We will set <laughs> it up so that, you know, like it will be a self-care compound in Estonia. 
it will be absolutely com- completely critically necessary for you to have positive affirmations about yourself and others around you daily, on the daily. There'll be hugs. Yes. Massages. Yep. Foot rubs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you are submissive, there will be a place, a safe place for you to serve. If you're dominant, there'll be a safe place for you to foster the submissives. Because <laughs> that's the job of dominance. Right. <laughs> I think we got something going. I do. I do. And we're putting it out there. So uh, compound, Estonia or Czech Republic or Slovenia. I really love Slovenia. I haven't been, but I trust you. Oh, my you. God. It's so good. I moved to Slovenia with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And it's easily accessible from the rest of Europe. This is the other thing. Great. Is that you can be on a train and be in Slovenia, like from anywhere in Western Europe real easy. Awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. All that's close enough that I could be back in the UK if I needed to for family. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, yes, we've called it. Can we have a pool? Mm -hmm. It has (laughs) to be heated, though. It has to be heated, though. It definitely has to be heated. Yeah. 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 (gasps) And hot tub. Jacuzzi. Sauna. We need a sauna and a steam room because Georg loves the sauna. That's He's all about that. And then we can employ people to like come and do massages and body work and all kinds of like. So we're boosting the local economy wherever we are and enabling people to get out of their own comfort zones a little bit. I'm seeing, I'm seeing this. Maybe it's just, maybe... Maybe it can be a cult in our minds. We just call it a retreat center. And then- <laughs> I, I if it's on it- the grounds of a castle, too, that's not bad. You know, I do love the castles. I would do a castle, or like an old manor house, or something like that, with a bunch of like little, with a bunch of little small outbuildings, so that everyone has a little space. We could have like themed outbuildings, oh, right? We definitely needs space. Like we all yeah. need to have our own kind of living space. Yes. in that this We're is not super on important. Top of each other. No, 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 no. I hate that. Mm-mm. It's really important to have individual space. So somewhere where, and this is the other thing, like Eastern Europe, it's going to be a lot easier to deal with like building stuff if we need to. Okay. Right. Great. Because anywhere like, forget America, forget the UK, forget Western Europe, you know, Eastern Europe is still a bit more open and flexible. And when our millionaire is funding us, mm-hmm. they'll be able to like, just hand off some bribes. Right. You know, they'll just be like, here, look, just pay the local people. Just give them like a couple grand and they'll be cool. We'll get the permits. It'll be the fine. the part out loud. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Cody, just like like yeah. b- reverse that. <laughs> Do the backwards masking. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, let's wind down because okay. I think we are. Oh my god, it's over an hour. How are we so amazing? That, we just we are riveting for like an hour and fifteen minutes without even trying. And that, well, we've kind of been in that for like two and a half days. <laughs> we just happened to record this time. <laughs> So, Rebecca, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me, my website's RebeccaLowry.com or... Such just, don't forget to spell it. Oh, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-L-O-W-R-I-E.com. And I'm everywhere on social media as either Rebecca Lowry or sometimes as Sexual Alchemy, mm-hmm. but with often with a letter out. So just look yeah. for Rebecca Lowry. I'll yeah. come up under that. Wonderful. Everywhere. But all of that is, is linked from your website. Yeah. Okay, great. So they can find you on the social media through your website. Actually, is it on my website? Yeah, it is at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's it is. You're like, wait a second, hurry, run. <laughs> Put it on the site. <laughs> in the footer. It's in the footer. <laughs> thank you so yeah. much. Um, thank you. That was awesome. I could really talk about fantastic. anything and everything. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and thank you guys for listening. And thank you guys for putting up with the past couple of weeks of lectures. And I know that this sound quality is terrible. I know, Cody, I know. But I listened to him and I bought a special lavalier pack that is hopefully going to make my next couple of lectures actually intelligible. So thank you so much. I love you. I see you. I dig you.
You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb. Theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. Mm-hmm.